Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Hi, my name is Anna. I'm going to be reading our scripture passage for this morning. Um, you can feel free to read along on the screen, but if you haven't got access to a Bible, um, please do feel free to take one. We have uh, ones like this, greens one like, green ones like this outside. Just help yourself to one. That's what they're there for. Okay, so today's reading is from Matthew 5, 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to hell or fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on your way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Yes. My name is Mary Arntz, and I am a member of Urban Village Church. I'm a layperson, and um, I'm feeling very lucky to be able to preach. Um, this passage and God's word to you this morning. Um, first, I wanted to thank Ellen for, uh, there you went, <laughs> for your testimony and uh, testimony to the power of prayer, but also the journey toward prayer um, that we have in our lives. Um, how many of you are part of a tradition where a testimony like this happens, like in the churches you grew up or faith communities you were a part of? How many had this kind of thing happen regularly? Just curious. Raise your hands high. Okay, so maybe like 10% of us. And how many in your uh, churches or faith communities had lay people preach on a regular basis? I'm also curious about that. Raise your hands. There's like even fewer people. <laughs> um, so I, I feel very fortunate to be a part of this community where everyone has a story, everyone has a voice, um, and I, this is my contribution to that. So um, let's pray as we get started. God, may the meditations of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts combined be something that bring you delight and joy on this morning. Amen. Amen. So one of the most vivid memories of my early elementary years was a moment of confession. This story takes place at Mounds Park Academy in St. Paul, Minnesota, where I grew up, uh, circa 1990. 
Is anyone else from Minnesota? I heard a little quiet whoop. Oh yeah, great. Um, <clears throat> there are two important things to know about my experience as a student at Mounds Park Academy. The first thing is that my father was a teacher at the school. And he taught middle school, like way on one end of the building. And I, at this point I was in about first grade and my classroom was way on the other end of the building. The second thing to know is that uniforms were required at Mounds Park Academy. And uh, you know, like uh, pressed blouses and pleated skirts. Uh, my favorite was the jumper, uh, which had like these plaid panels that went over the blouse, connected to the skirt, and kind of was this really great ensemble. Um, and I actually have a picture of this in case you haven't spent time around private school uniforms. This is me with my little sister, um, and she spent a lot of her childhood wanting to be like me, as you can tell. So um, she didn't have her jumper yet, but uh, this is on the first day of school, um, around 1990, as I said. Uh, one day, I was in first grade, and uh, it was time to start the lesson. I opened my desk, I pulled out a piece of paper, and I went for my pencil, and I realized, to my utter shock and dismay, I had no pencil. And to me, I was a goody two-shoes, and this was like the end of my world. My cheeks got hot, I realized I had better make a plan, and fast. I was too embarrassed to tell my teacher what was going on, and so I kind of raised my hand and I asked if I could go to the bathroom. Now, you remember I said that my dad was at the school, so, you know, instead of going to the bathroom, I go down this long hallway, venturing into the middle school section of the building. I knock on my dad's door. I very quietly explain to him, like I'm interrupting his class, I explain my problem, <laughs> and he's like, Okay, he grabs a couple like perfectly sharpened pencils. I'm elated and relieved. I put them in my blouse pocket, cover them up with my jumper panel, and I go back to class. I like take out the pencil in secret, finish my lesson, and like I'm like, whew, I'm safe. Like things are fine. Well, my dad, in his infinite parental wisdom, asked me to explain this whole thing at the end of the day. I admitted to my untruthful request um, to go to the bathroom, and I was like, okay, now it's done. Like, that admission, that takes care of it. But he said, I think uh, Ms. Mayland would like to know um, this story. This is my teacher, Ms. Mayland. And so, like, a dog with, like, my tail between my legs, I'm, like, shuffling back to the classroom, and I find Ms. Mayland is still there. Shoot. Um, <laughs> My dad alerted her to the fact that I had something to tell her. So, you know, I'm like, Ms. Mayland, I didn't actually go to the bathroom. I went to go get a pencil because I didn't have any. Um, and so my little first grade self had no idea what would happen next. This is the end of my world, right? First I had this happened, and then I had to tell my teacher that it happened. And what Ms. Mayland did next really amazed me. She kind of like crouched down. She said, Mary. That's okay, thanks for telling me. Next time you need a pencil, just ask for one. <laughs> wow, and I don't know about you, but... <laughs> like I still have to like make sure I have my pencils at work in the morning, you know, so this is a big deal for me. Wow, pencils, I didn't even know they were available. Wow. Um, and as I tell this story, I don't know about you, but like I get kind of like sweaty and like clammy, like ugh, it's just... Um, I don't know, is anyone else with me, like this confession thing? It's like, whew. Um, so confessing our wrongs to others can be extremely terrifying. 
Um, and not just for first graders. <laughs> Admitting our mistakes makes us feel vulnerable and exposed. When we tell someone we messed up, we wonder, uh, what will they think of us? We wonder whether they will use our mistakes against us, right? And sometimes we wonder if we're overthinking things and whether it would be better to just not say anything, like not go back there. This, uh, this week, my small group and I, uh, or together, we talked about confession a little bit. They obliged me and like, gave me some material. And um, a few things that they were concerned about with confession that we were concerned about together are judgment, rejection, shame. And it all kind of came around to this feeling that once we confess, it feels like we're not in control of our story anymore. So given all these fears and concerns, uh, what's so great about confessing to one another? Why is it important? How do we confess to one another? How does confessing to others like actually work? Should I confess? What happens when we do confess and try to make things right? And what's at stake if we don't? Why does God care about confession? So if you haven't noticed yet, we're in a sermon series about confession. And um, it's called Full Disclosure. There's a cool image on e-news, and it's cool. Um, so confession doesn't always get a lot of airtime at church, unfortunately. So um, I thought we would spend a little bit, of, just a quick review. So what is confession? Um, is it getting in a wooden closet and saying, like, Father, forgive me for I have sinned? Is it saying a communal prayer before communion? Is it, you know, having a conversation with your accountability partner? There are all these traditions of confession. So I would say, yes, confession is all of those things. And maybe a working definition would be um, that confession is to acknowledge or admit our sin. And confession, what it's not, which I think is also important <laughs> to say, confession is not a thoughtless apology, you know, brief, like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean it. And confession is also not forcing someone to forgive you. Confession is admitting that we're powerless over sin. It's kind of like in Alcoholics Anonymous or other AA groups, the 12-step program. The first step is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol or whatever the substance or issue might be and that our lives had become unmanageable. This is kind of what confession is about. And over the past couple of weeks, we've also been talking about sin that S word, <laughs> because without sin, there would be no need for confession. Pastor Brittany has given us uh, two ways of understanding sin. And if you've been here, this is kind of like the review portion, um, and you're going to help me. So one of the ways of talking about sin is saying um, it's the times when we miss the mark, or miss home plates. Uh, we miss our target. And another way is um, to talk about sin is the human propensity to Right. I kind of like that one. <laughs> um, you get to be a little sassy about it. Um, and Pastor Jarrell, who is a part of the Urban Village community, who many of you know, I got to listen to his sermon, and he says it this way, sin is anything that separates you from your neighbor and causes you to feel separated from God. And he emphasizes the part it may ca causing you to feel separated from God, but the fact of the matter is that God will never separate yourself, himself, herself, himself from you. God is always pursuing us in love. So sin is not some sort of plague or curse or scarlet letter. Sinning is an inevitable part of being human. The Apostle Paul says we can't avoid sin. We can't not do it. 
So if sin is inevitable, then confession is an incredible gift, actually, because the goal of confession is to be free, to be made whole. Again, Pastor Jarrell, I love this, he says that confession reminds us of who we are, we're people who screw up. In confessing, we hope to screw up a little less and be like Jesus a little more. We hope to screw up a little less and be like Jesus a little more. And last week, Pastor Brittany talked about how we confess that we've missed that mark. You know, we're kind of over here and we kind of feel like we should be over here. God's grace is what fills that gap. So we have confession, sin, and grace. It's part of being human. So I don't know about you, but the last couple of weeks I've been like, okay, yeah, I kind of get it. Okay, I'm, I can say the definition of sin and it's all starting to make some sense. That's all well and good, I've been thinking. It's all well and good until someone gets hurt. Like, real people, right? It's like, I can figure it out with God, but when like, I've actually hurt a person, then it gets like really scary, uncomfortable, all these things we talked about. Um, and in fact, we're often the ones, we are the ones that have caused harm to friends, coworkers, students, children, relatives, neighbors, strangers. Like, what do we do then? Well, guess what? Jesus, of course, has something to say, right? Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> um, in our scripture passage for today, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and I imagine they're feeling a little bit of this feeling I'm describing, because Jesus starts off by saying to them, you've heard it said, do not murder. So as good Jews, the disciples who are hearing this would be thinking like, oh yeah, yeah, do not murder, Ten Commandments, heard that all the time, like check, done, fine. But then Jesus goes deeper. I don't know if you remember what he says next, but he gets into this litany, like if you get hangry, angry with your, hangry, well that too, hangry, angry, <laughs> With your brother, you'll be liable to judgment. If you insult a sister, you'll be liable to the council. If you call your neighbor a fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Like, what? And the disciples are probably thinking, whoa, Jesus, woo, tap the brakes. Like, I thought it was just about do not murder. Like, I had that figured out, but now you're throwing all of this at me. <clears throat> so I think it's interesting how the phrasing changes from do not murder to if you do this, if you do this, if you do this. It's kind of like Jesus is saying that these sins, these ways that we mess up in our relationships with each other are impossible to avoid, right? He kind of changes the language. Instead, there's something inevitable about getting angry at our parents, about insulting our coworkers, cursing someone who presses our buttons. So the good news is that Jesus tells us what to do when the inevitable happens. And there are three things. So if you're like a note taker, do like one, two, three. Um, the first thing is remember the harm we've done to others. Remember. The second thing is prepare to admit it. Prepare. And the third thing is prioritize confession. Or you could just say confess. So here's the first part. And I don't know if you have uh, access to the scripture again, but verse 23 at the beginning, the first part so when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Did you catch it? Remember? If I could revise this language a bit for our modern ears, I would say not if, but when, when you remember. Sometimes this remembering is unavoidable, right? Like we often know we've hurt someone and it's glaringly obvious, like immediately. Other times, remembering takes reflection or comes over time after we've been able to see a relationship or a situation in a new light. In the 12 steps of recovery, I'm going to go back to that again, step eight says we made a list of all persons we had harmed. 
So whether you make a, like a physical list or not, the important part of remembering is being aware of situations where our relationships are not right and honestly naming our part in that as specifically as possible. Remember. The second step, prepare. The second part of step eight that I just talked about says that we became willing to make amends to them all. We made a list of persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Now this process of becoming willing is not instant. We need to not only take time to free ourselves, but prepare to free others also. And Jesus' advice to his disciples has this processing time built into it. And this is like one of the coolest parts of the passage, I think, um, because there's a little learning from the situation that I'll, I'll bring you through. So in verse 24, Jesus says, leave your gift at the altar and go see the brother or sister that you have harmed. Now here's the learning part <clears throat> about this, uh, the setting where this would be heard for the first time. So in, for a Jew in Jesus' time, this would not have been a quick task. So let's say the altar um, that, where the offering is being made is in Jerusalem. Uh, it's very likely that that person who's making the, uh, bringing something to the altar would have insulted a buddy or a neighbor in Galilee. Like this is probably the distance uh, we're talking about. That would be a multi-day trip to go from like the altar back to Galilee and back to Jerusalem again. And I think this is pretty impractical. <laughs> so it would kind of be like going to California before you take communion like in 10 minutes. Like it, it, the, it just doesn't quite add up. Um, so I think what uh, Jesus may be doing here is not actually making literal recommendations, but pointing out that preparing to confess is literally a journey, right? It takes time. Jesus recognizes that confessing our sin to someone is not an instantaneous thing. And how many of us have received an apology that felt like way too quick, right? Like someone's like, oh, oh sorry, I didn't mean it, right? And you're like, well, that didn't do me much good. Like, tell me more. <laughs> Take some more time. <laughs> um, so again, preparing to confess is a journey. In one instance, it might be a journey of a couple seconds. Like sometimes we can do that quickly. And other times it will require much more distance. So prepare and take your time. Finally, confess. Jesus encourages us to prioritize confession. Again, in the passage, he says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. <laughs> First, be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Here, I think Jesus is saying that confession is like uber important in the life of faith. It's up there with like communion, altar sacrifices, baptism, like he's putting it at that level, right? And I want to take an aside here to say that um, I don't think that confessing is like a prerequisite for taking communion, for being baptized. It's not like you have to have your whole slate clean before you come to this table later today. But Jesus is saying that it's just as important. It's just as much of a priority. So even if you have to go all the way to medical, medical, metaphorical California, right, to your California and back, do it. And I love what Jesus says next. This is like another really cool twist in the passage. In the second part um, that we read today, he makes very clear what's at stake if we don't prioritize confession. He says that if we don't make things right with our neighbors, we'll be thrown in prison until we've paid every last penny. Whoa, right? And in Jesus' day, there was like no chance once you got thrown into prison that you'd be able to um, pay your way out because when you're in prison, you couldn't work. If you couldn't work, you couldn't make money. Like they didn't have like bank accounts and stuff like that. So. Um, 
I think what's happening here is um, Jesus is showing how important confessing is, and he's saying that it's a matter of freedom, right? It's a matter of being imprisoned or being free. And so he says, do your work of confessing before you get to that point of being imprisoned by it. So confess. Jesus tries to get it through to us a couple different ways. <laughs> um, and I want to make one more aside here uh, and go to step nine from Alcoholics Anonymous or the 12-step programs because I think there's a really important nuance I want to add um, that we don't quite see in the passage. Step nine says that we make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except where to do so would injure others. And so the sermon series is called Full Disclosure. I said that. Um, and I would argue that God absolutely loves full disclosure. Yeah, like he wants, he, why does he keep saying he? It's not even my understanding of God. He, she, God. Um, God would love that, nothing more, or, you know, all of us, uh, the full thing, the full story. But people don't always need to hear the full story. Um, I think that part of the journey of confession is discerning what the other person needs to hear, what they have a right to hear, and what they can handle responsibly. We can admit our sins to those we have harmed by writing a letter, sitting down face to face, making a true apology, offering an invitation, and the task is to do it as directly and honestly as the person can handle you and the person you're confessing to. And so this is a tricky nuance to navigate. And the, another piece of good news here is we have community that, to help us figure out how to do this, right? We have fellow travelers on the journey as we prepare to confess. We have small group members. How many folks are in a small group? I know I am, and this has come up in our small group. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And everyone who didn't raise your hand, find someone <laughs> um, in, this, in this room to talk to afterward about small groups. Uh, we have sponsors and AA programs who are fantastic at helping us. What's our, you know, what's our part of this story and naming it and confessing? We have pastors. We have lay chaplains. Emily's here um, to be a listener and a guide this morning. We have therapists. We have spiritual directors. Like this is something meant to be done in community. This discernment and this journey to confession. And so the good news in all of this is that through confession we can be reconciled to our neighbors through God's endless grace. The nasty things that we do to each other because, because we're human and we mess up, those things don't endure, okay? It doesn't have to be the end of the story. When God has God's way, anger, hurt, insults are not the final word. And we don't have to wait until heaven to experience the alternative, too. I think um, the journey of confession opens us up here and now to receiving God's grace and frees us to be whole, not perfect, but wholly restored in our relationships to others. And we see this story in, uh, we see this in the Little Mary story that I started with. Um, at the end of my ordeal, I was welcomed back into the classroom so that I could return the next day without fear or shame, but with confidence that my mistakes would not define me. And it was a journey. <laughs> I had to go all the way to the, you know, down the hallway through, you know, whatever was going on in my mind. And my dad helped me remember he helped me remember where I had missed the mark, prepared to admit what I had done, and confess my side of the story. In admitting my wrongdoing, I was set free to be made whole, 
right, by Ms. Mayland, who I would argue is like God in a lot of ways. God is eager to hold us in love and grace and an abundant supply of sharpened pencils. <clears throat> Let us pray. <clears throat> God, like a teacher who always welcomes us back into the classroom, you offer grace upon grace when we mess up and make mistakes. Help us summon the honesty and courage we need to remember our sin, prepare to admit it, and prioritize confession. For it is on this journey that we are freed to be made whole and to make whole our relationships with others. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.